0: If you'll turn with me to first Chronicles, 16, be reading this text. Uh, this message is more topical this morning, so we'll be in multiple texts and, and not deep into any one. Uh, but First Chronicles 16, starting in verse 28. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established, shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word and and the other scripture texts we will look at this morning. We ask that you would guide us, open our hearts and our minds to hear this morning. Lord, I pray that you would empower and strengthen me this morning to proclaim your word clearly, boldly. Lord, that people would hear your spirit speaking, not my words, but you speaking through me. So, Lord, please be at work this morning. Unite our hearts to fear your name. We pray these things for your glory and for our good and joy. Amen. Well, This morning, uh, we're going to do something that I do more rarely than than not, is, is start with a little video clip. And in it, you'll see an advertisement. And that's really the best word I can think of to use. Uh, an advertisement for a Sunday gathering at a particular church. And I would imagine before we do this, that the heart behind this, um, this clip is to get people into the building and hopefully to hear the gospel. And, I, and I'm going to assume that the desire is to get people to come to church and to engage. So let's see what it is for us. Your salvation is at hand. Be of yeah! Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Cause at the movies is right around the corner. Ooh, child, things are gonna get easier. Cause we're gonna have popcorn, soda, and other things. Now break it down. huh! What are you doing? We're having a dance off. More! bring it back. What are you doing? I'm inviting you to add the movies, bro. We're going to have popcorn, soda, and other things. And I think the question from the big blue guy of what are you doing was appropriate. That's the draw, was popcorn, soda, and other things. That's what they appear to believe will get people in the door, and honestly, I find it sad and um, even a bit angering to see that. Because though I want to believe that the heart is there, the understanding of what Sunday worship is about, it, it appears to be glaringly absent from something like that. It reminds me of a quote from D.A. Carson where he wrote, if you seek peace, you will not find it. If you seek Christ, you will find peace. If you seek joy, you will not find it. If you seek Christ, you will find joy. If you seek holiness, you will not find it. If you seek Christ, you will find holiness. If you seek experiences of worship, you will not find them. If you worship the living God, you will experience something of what is reflected in the Psalms. Worship is a transitive verb, and the most important thing about it is the direct object. So what are are we seeking in worship? What are we seeking to find? And so as we dive into the series on the church, we're going to do so today by looking at worship, at really worship of the church gathered of what I call the church's home. Now, every Sunday when you come to church here, you hear a call to worship to begin the service, much like what was just read from 1 Chronicles 16. And we hear that call because we need it. We need to be reminded of what we are here for. We are here to worship God. This is the day when people gather, and we gather together as the people of God to worship Him, but Why? Why is this such a big deal? What's what's the big deal about gathering together for worship? What is it and what does it actually do? And those are some valid questions and I hope to answer them a bit this morning. And in this series, this whole series, my desire as we go through this series on the church is to help us all engage further or re-engage in the life of the church. The reality is, is our tendency is to drift and that drift is going to be away from the church and away from the Lord. We have to to make a concerted effort to be and to stay engaged in the life of God. You have to have a plan. You have to understand. You have to know what you're doing. And I know, okay, listen, I know that the last 18 months have complicated things. None of us, none of us were around in 1914. We have, none of us have gone through a global pandemic before, so there have been and there continue to be some extenuating circumstances. There are providential hindrances in regard to coming to church. But even without that being the case, we all consistently need to be reminded of the character and priority of worship. It's a privilege It's an amazing privilege to be part of the church. So this morning, what I hope to do is to paint a biblical picture of worship, of what happens when we gather for worship. And I I think too often, we can get into a routine of we know what's going on on a Sunday morning. We know what's what's happening, what comes next, but we forget about what is actually taking place as we gather. And so two main points this morning, what is worship and what does worship do? And hopefully these will guide us this morning as we seek to understand what God has for us as his children. So the first question, the general question that I, that I just mentioned, it's the overarching one. What is worship? Well, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, his second temptation or the second temptation by Satan um, that was thrown at him went like this in Luke 4. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now Jesus here was likely referring back to Deuteronomy 6.13 in his answer, but he gives us two words that help give us definition and and an understanding of worship. And the first is the word that's translated worship here, and it means to bend or to bow down, to to pay homage to one. It's a word that primarily expresses surrender, that we surrender to the Lord. And in many contexts in the Old Testament, it's accompanied by a strong sense of awe, uh, awe and, and gratitude, and the mere act of, of bowing, it implies submission. We understand that. When we bow, we are giving deference. We're submitting to the one in front of us that, to whom we bow. And so, submission is actually fundamental to what it means to worship. But there is a second related word, and it's translated serve here. And as we worship, we actually render service to God. Typically, this has its focus in the area of ritual, the, the service of worship as we come together, the, the set forms, the rites, the times. However, as we move into the New Testament post-resurrection, the word serve there takes on a larger um, character, a wider range of meaning. And there are various texts which speak to service beyond the context of a gathered worship service. One of those that's quite familiar is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Think of it where it talks about that we, we render our spiritual service of worship, that we seek to conform our lives, to be transformed. That is spiritual worship. That takes place, it can take place outside of the context of the gathered community. So what this is telling us is that the character of biblical worship, much of it deals with submission in all of life to God. In, in every way, we can live a life of worship in submission to God. It is also accompanied by adoration, of who God is, and there's a life of of service to Him. And in everything, worship seeks to give glory and honor to God that is due to Him. Now, as I've said, worship is certainly all-encompassing. There's an all-of-life aspect to it. And that is something that I wanted to go over because we, we, we want to remember that, not make the mistake that the only time you worship God is on a Sunday morning in a gathered community. And I want to make that clear because the rest of this message, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about our gathered time together, the corporate worship life of the church, because my aim is to help us as a church re-engage in the life of the church, the corporate life, and worship is absolutely essential to the life of the church. Now, as we come into this, there are two elements that we need to recognize as part of worship. And so as you think of a church starting with a call to worship, things like that, there are, there are things that happen. There's revelation and response are part of worship. And uh, Sinclair Ferguson and J.I. Packer wrote this. They said, revelation through which God shows himself to man and response through which awe-stricken man responds to God. Martin Luther claimed that to know God is to worship him. In so saying, he succinctly embraced both aspects of worship. He also insisted that worship is not an optional extra for the godly person, but an essential symptom or expression of that knowledge. So, so worship, really is still in all of life, but corporately, is not an optional extra. Okay? Sunday morning, I, I realize this, and especially over the past time, it, it's not always easy to get here. And, and honestly, for some of us, I, I, you know, I've had these feelings we've all had. What do we actually think about Sunday morning? Like, do you find it thrilling or maybe a bit boring at times? Is it spectacular or somewhat dull? Is it captivating or, you know, sometimes it's relatively tedious? Is it joyous or is it, too often unsatisfying. And admittedly, corporate worship is not like a blockbuster movie. It's not like attending a sporting event with 90,000 other people or a host of other activities that you could go to on Sunday morning, but it's not supposed to be. Yet I will argue that it is much more significant and certainly more life-giving. In fact, it's the most important thing you can do. This is the destiny of the people of God. This is the life of the church, is worship. Now, I know that for some of you, when I say that worship is the life of the church, some of you are going, oh, yeah, you. What about missions? What about missions? Like the whole Great Commission thing, you know, go therefore make disciples. Well, let's look at John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. This is Jesus, and he's talking to the woman at the well, and he says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on that encounter. I just want to bring out one particular point that, that Robert Rayburn brought out for me. He wrote, Nowhere in all the Scriptures do we read of God's seeking anything else from the child of God. Nowhere in the Bible are we told that the Lord seeks our service. It's not servants He seeks, but true worshipers. Nowhere does the Scriptures tell us that the Lord is seeking witnesses. It is not without real significance that the only time in the Scriptures when the word seek is used of God's activity is in connection with seeking true worshipers. God is not seeking merely converts or servants. He's seeking worshipers. And and this reminds me back in the the 90s when I read John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad. And, And that's an entire book about missions. But he starts it off very early on. He says this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. All of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and His Son among all the peoples of the earth. Missions is not the goal. It is the means, and for that reason, it is the second greatest human activity in the world. Which, folks, this perfectly coincides with what we read in the Westminster Catechisms. Westminster Larger Catechism, I'll go to the larger this time. Question one, what is the chief and highest end of man? And so when it's asking that, it's asking, what are we designed for? What are we made for? What are we created to do with our lives? And the answer is, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. That's what we're designed for. And much of how we do that is in worship. Worship is glorifying God. It's enjoying Him. It's declaring His praise. Isaiah 43, 21, the people whom I formed for myself that they may declare my praise. God formed his people so that they could give him praise. We're created for worship. And as a people, we are called very often in Scripture, come together and worship. We constantly hear call after call in Scripture because, folks, the reality is, is we all will worship something, We all worship something. Everyone is a worshiper. The question is, what is the object of your worship? In general, we worship what we believe will give us life. What we will believe will will give us the good life. And so what we do is we arrange our lives around that object, be it work, sports, family, a host of other things, or God. And that ordering of our lives is worship. And and when we come together, we are worshiping, whether it's here or somewhere else that we've ordered our lives around. Folks, what we order our lives around reflects our vision. It reflects our belief in what can bring us the good life. And you know what? That ordering, that, that belief, it's going to shape us. What we worship will conform us to it. You know, I I think we could all agree that our habits influence who we are. We do the same things routinely. What we do routinely has an effect on us. There's a transformational aspect as well to what we love and what we adore. Psalm 115, starting in verse 4 says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Do you notice that last verse? Those who make them become like them. Whatever we worship, we become more like. Jonathan Cruz uh, has an excellent book called What Happens When We Worship, and I owe a good bit of this message to a lot of the insight he had and how he pulled things together. But he makes a very perceptive point in regard to this idea. In Exodus 32 to 34, you have the incident of the golden calf. Okay, so Moses is up on the mountain, he's with God, and he is delayed in coming down, right? He's delayed in coming down, and the people are like, Aaron, what's going on? Where is he? Make us a god. Here, give me your gold. And poof, out comes a golden calf. And they bow down in worship of this calf. And Scripture describes the people this way, describes it as those who have turned aside quickly out of the way, Exodus 32.8, and as stiff-necked multiple places, and also as those who had broken loose. Okay, folks, those are not good descriptions. We know that, but you know what they're also descriptions of? Unruly cattle. They've broken loose. They've gone quickly out of the way. They've, They've not followed their reins. But then we have Moses. Moses, after he came down, he went back up to the mountain And he spends time with the true God. He worships. And in 3429, we read this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. So do you see what happened? The people were formed to be more like the idol that they worshiped. They were described more like the golden calf. And Moses was like his God that he worships. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, worship shapes us. It transforms us. What we adore, what we glorify, we will start to act like, we will start to look like, whether that be good or not. And folks, in life, pretty much everything is vying for our worship. Most commercials are are saying, you get this and you have the good life. This is your source for the good life. We get it day in and day out, things that continue to promise that, things that will change our destiny. And it's an onslaught, both from without, but also within our own deceitful hearts. And so listen, folks, we need the counter-formational work of the gathered worship of the people of God. We need that to counter everything that is screaming at us. We need the life of the worshiping church. And so hopefully you're beginning to see some of the importance of worship. But there's a lot more that happens in Christian worship one massive truth is that as we worship together as the body of Christ, folks, we come into the presence of the Lord. Now, listen, I am not denying God's omnipresence than when you're driving alone. That I'm not saying God's not with you there, okay? I'm not saying that. He's always with his people, but there is something special and different in character about corporate worship. Now, I don't have time to go through all the texts related to God's people gathered in worship, the festivals, the weekly gatherings at the temple, but to fi- suffice it to say, we are made for worship, and we're destined for worship in heaven. We're destined for it. And it ought to amaze and astound us that in something so simple as gathering together as a group of redeemed sinners… in a a, a church service, that the God of the universe, the God who spoke the universe into existence, would actually say, I'm going to meet right there. I'm going to be there with those people. And honestly, without this being true, why wouldn't you go to the movies? Why wouldn't you go to every sporting event you could? Why wouldn't you just sleep in and make your yard look immaculate on Sunday mornings? Why? Why? If God doesn't actually meet with his people here and transform us, why come? This would be a colossal waste of time. But we come because God is here. And in our coming and in our worshiping, we are formed more and more into His image. And this is not in any way to downplay private or family worship. Those are essential parts of our spiritual lives, but there is a different character. There is a superlative nature to corporate worship. Now, I realize there's been a change since the Old Testament where worship was kind of more confined to a particular place, to the tabernacle or the temple. That was the place of God's presence. And, and you, you know, oftentimes there, there would be a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. Or there would be something there to show His presence. In the New Testament, that's changed because of Christ and our union with Him. There are no more sacrifices. The worshiper does not need to, to wash or offer up a guilt offering or a peace offering, and I'm really glad for that. The the worshiper now, he or she can come boldly to the throne of grace in the name of Christ and the final and complete sacrifice. So, we, we may ask if it's changed, if it's not a particular place, do we still need to gather as people for worship? Well, that's never changed. We're still called to gather. It's just been to open up to a much greater number of locations. And when we come together for worship, we are brought through a spiritual mystery that that I I can't explain into the presence of God, into the heavenly sanctuary, the heavenly tent. Read Hebrews 12, 18 to 24. We come to to that which cannot be touched. But I want you to look at at Hebrews 10 right now. Go ahead and flip there uh, so you can follow along. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. And I I don't have time to go through all of this either, Um, so mark it and go back to it. But the apostle, the writer, writes this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Again, this text says, so much. We have confidence. We enter the holy place in Christ. We have been cleansed by Him and in Him. And and in corporate worship, you know what? We are reminded of that week after week after week. We come in our brokenness and our pain and our sin. We come out of the difficulties of, of this week. We confess our sins. And you know what? We hear an assurance of pardon. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit and life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Don't you need to hear that? Doesn't your soul, your spirit need to hear that? To hear God say to us week after week that though we continue to sin, His grace abounds much more. I'm reminded of what R- Richard Sibbs wrote in his great work The Bruised Reed. He said, "But if we lay this for a ground, so if this is our foundation, that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us." How much do we need to hear that? You can read that in a text at home and it's great. But to hear that and to have your fellow believers in Christ say it to you, hey, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. That is soul-strengthening. That is a delight. That is what we need. The beauty of weekly Sunday worship is in it. We have a rehearsal and a renewal of God's covenant of his commitment to his people, we are reminded over and over in worship that he remembers his covenant forever, though we break it. When we hear the gospel, our hearts are lifted away from our sin and self into the greatness of Christ that has list, lifted us out of the miry pits We are not met weakly by God in our guilt, but we are met weakly by God as we stand in the grace of Christ, and we stand in confidence in that grace. As Cruz wrote in his book, he said, in the worship service, God gives His people the very proof that He has not left them. He shows that His faithfulness never comes to to an end and that His mercy is new every morning. We so desperately need to be reminded of this weekly. This is the communion of the saints. Our meeting together is encouragement. We teach one another as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. We teach and admonish one another in that. The reality is, is we all sin really often, more often than we want. We go astray, and we are in the same boat in that respect, but we all come to God through the same ark, and that is Jesus Christ. And how wonderful it is to see one another fall and bow before God in worship and singing and praising and being thankful. And, you know, I have the privilege of being up front much of the time when we sing. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but sometimes to see people who, who are lost in wonder and praise as they sing. It's a delight. You're among friends. You're among people who know that, oh God, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus, and I am just amazed by that. As I think about my life over and over again, that He comes and He says, there's more mercy in me than there is sin in you. Folks, it stirs us on to what is of greatest importance. Now, there is still a lot more to what worship brings for the believer. God meets with us. Uh, we're, we're shaped into his likeness. There's communion with the saints. We, we learn in worship to submit to God. We, we learn that his ways are best, that, that being near to him is for our good. Psalm seventy three twenty eight. He's our creator and Lord. Uh, he, he cares for us, and over and over again in worship, we're reminded that He cares for us. Here's the thing Aaron has said something similar to this many times. But Sunday worship is, a weekly, is, is an oasis in the weekly desert of this world. And it's a sure course for us as we set sail uh, against the sirens that beckon us to our ruin. There is nothing else that compares to what happens in Sunday worship. This reminds me of the, the words, I've, I've used them before here, of, of Ray Ortland that he would use to begin the worship service at Emmanuel in Nashville, and words he actually said that he borrowed from James Boyce, uh, who's the pastor at 10th Prez in Philadelphia. And these are, these are these words To all who are weary and need rest to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever will come, this church opens wide her doors and offers her welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will hear answers to those questions in Sunday worship, as you hear the gospel over and over again. And that's what I long for, for this church, for our worship. I long for us to know this and to to long to come weekly, to to be shaped, to, to meet with God to encourage one another and so much more. So much grace and hope and life is found in the weekly gathering of God's people in the name of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, listen, I will say this. Even if you just begin to partially understand what happens in Sunday worship, that I haven't touched on anywhere near all of it. And I'm still growing in this. You should want to run to Sunday worship. This should should be something we, we could almost, we should be filled by tentel because we're so eager to hear the word of the Lord. It'll grip our hearts with the goodness and grace of God. So let us then live in a way folks, that aims at our greatest privilege, at, at the chief end, the glory of our God and our enjoyment of Him. Because I will say, this is the most important thing we can ever do with our lives. Let's pray. Father, what a blessing to come together to glory in our Redeemer, to know that as we come as as sinful humans, unworthy in our own merit. We can come boldly as those who by repentance of faith and faith have come to to trust in Christ. Lord, work in us. Work in us a deeper love. Transform us. us. Let us know the truth of what happens as we gather together. Father, be glorified in us. Do this for our good. In Christ's name, amen.